morning, Orchardville Church. Wow, it's good to see everybody this morning. So uh, before we get rolling, I want to um, just uh, remind you that today is our last Sunday of Brown Bag Summer. Now, for some of your guests, that means absolutely nothing to you. Uh, but I like to preach in series, and we just sort of hit the pause button on that for uh, the first six weeks of, of this summer. And we went to Brown Bag Summer, the idea was we don't really know exactly what we're going to be doing. And uh, we're going to just kind of take it week by week. And it's been a little bit of a journey for me. And I hope that you have been blessed by it uh, over the last several weeks. In the last few weeks, and this was nothing about this was intentional because we're just sort of going wherever the Lord takes us in a, in a week to week basis during these last several uh, weeks. But we've sort of been kind of moving in the same direction. Uh, but today, we're going we're gonna to completely, completely shift gears on this last Sunday of brown bag summer. This morning, I want to speak to you about a subject, a message titled 24-6. 24-6, I want to talk this morning about the need for rest. Now, we are, we are one month into the summer. It is, it is the first Sunday in July and hopefully everybody went out and had a great time on the 4th of July. I hope you did something fun. Uh, I hope that uh, you were able to enjoy that sort of respite from your routine. And if, if you have not, vacations are in full swing right now, right? I mean, that's what summer's about. And if you have not taken a vacation yet, you may not hear too many preachers say this, but I really wanna encourage you, get out there and go take a vacation. You need, amen, somebody say amen. The preacher just said, go take a vacation. That's the best thing the preacher has said in church in a long time. So <laughs> go take a vacation. You need it. All of us need a break, a rest from the normal routine of our life. And if, if you don't think that's true, I'm telling you this morning that the cycle of rest was built into the rhythm of our life right from the very beginning. Right from creation itself, the need for rest was built in to the rhythm of life. In fact, God saw it as such an important aspect of our life that he saw fit to codify it, to uh, designate it as one of the 10 most important things that we could do to live a healthy, God-honoring life. It shows up in one of these verses in a thing that we call the 10 Commandments. So open up your Bible to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, it's the second book of the Bible, so it's really, really easy uh, to get to. Doesn't take very long, so you got Genesis, Exodus, and so Exodus chapter 20. And Exodus chapter 20 is where God gives us these guidelines for living a healthy, God-honoring life. And most of them, as we read through them, like we, we normally like, okay, that makes sense, that one makes sense, I get that one, I get that one, I get that one. And, and if, you're, if you're really trying to please the Lord and live according to His guidelines, His directions, then we normally try to make sure that we live up to or at least try to live up to and honor those other nine. 
But there's something about this one that we seem to think, well, God didn't really mean that one. Well, I might should try to live the other ones, but I'm not sure that this one really applies to me. But let's, let's just read it together, beginning in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8. God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant nor your female servant nor your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it or set it aside. So with that in mind, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning that you are the God of creation. Lord, you set all of this in motion. And Lord, we wanna learn from you this morning. We wanna, we wanna take your word at face value and God, we, we wanna honor you by bringing our lives in alignment with what you have declared is truth and the right way to live. And so God, I pray that for everyone who is listening this morning, those who are listening here and those who may be listening to this message online live right now, wherever they are, or Lord, maybe later as they watch it back. God, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you will disseminate your truth in the ways that it needs to be heard in the ear of every listener, and that you might be pleased with each of our responses. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. And so by the way, in light of the fact that we do have people listening, let me encourage you to make sure you check in on Facebook. Take just a second, grab your phone, check in on Facebook, share, go to the, the, the Second Chance uh, page on Facebook and share, share this live stream video. See if you can get some of your other friends to tune in and, and join us in hearing what the Word of God has to say to us today about this very, very important thing about rest. It's one of the 10 commandments. It's not like nine commandments and a suggestion, right? It's not like, not, here's, here's nine things you really ought to pay attention to. This number 10, you can just kind of blow this one off whether you feel like it or not. No, 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 no. It's 10 commandments. And this is one of those 10 commandments. So here's what, here's what God says on the Sabbath, the seventh day, that's the day that God rested. He says that you and me, we're supposed to basically do the exact same thing. We're supposed to rest. We're supposed to rest. We're supposed to focus on God. And one of the things that we accomplish in doing that is that we are supposed to realize in the process of all that, that our best 24-6 plus God's blessing because we are living in obedience to his command far exceeds what we can accomplish doing our best 24-7 and ignoring what God has said. I don't think y'all really followed that because I heard almost no amens from that. See, and this is what I say about this isn't nine commandments and a suggestion or a recommendation, it's 10 commandments. And so when we stop, 
we realize that when we do our best 24-6, but we hit the pause button on seven and say, God, I'm gonna focus on you, God blesses that number seven, and that with our best 24-6 is way, way more than what we can get when we ignore God and go 24-7. That's part of the need and the command for the rest. And in it, he says that nobody should work. I mean, when you read that passage of scripture right there, nobody is supposed to be working. It's a full stop command for everyone. Everyone, stop, work six, stop, work six, stop, work six, stop. Everybody, everybody. And so the implication by work six and stop is that after that stop, after that seventh day, you resume your normal activity, which is to go back to work, right? Does that make sense? All right, so if you're not sure that's really what God meant, just turn over a few pages to Exodus chapter 23. Exodus chapter 23. So uh, here, there's sort of a, a little bit of a recap of the Ten Commandments and sort of putting them in context a little bit. And so in Exodus chapter 23, when you look at verse 12, here's what the scripture says. Six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest, that the son of your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed. So in the first passage in the Ten Commandments itself in Exodus 20, he says that you don't work, your son doesn't work, your servants don't work, your cattle don't work, the stranger doesn't work, your daughter doesn't work, none of those people work. But then a couple of chapters later in 23, not only do they not work, but not only are your cattle not supposed to work, but your, your ox doesn't work, your donkey doesn't work, and not only your servants not supposed to work, but the children of your servants are not supposed to. Do you get the idea that God is really intentional and he really means what he says, that you work six and you hit full stop on seventh and rest? Do you get the feeling that that's what God is trying to say? If you're not, then I'm not doing my job because that's clearly what God is saying. You work six and then you get, now, here's the, the diff, interesting thing about this passage is that it adds a word that we don't see in the Ten Commandments. It adds the word at the very end of that to be refreshed. Refreshed. You work six, and then you take seven to be refreshed. Now, that actually means to be re-energized, to, to replenish, so that you can resume what it is that you were doing. So here's, here's the pattern that we see God defining very, very clearly. You work, you rest, you focus on God, and you go back to work. So everybody say that with me. You work, you rest, you focus on God, and you go back to work. One more time. This is God's pattern. It's not mine. It's God's pattern. You work, you rest, you focus on God, and you go back to work. That's, that's the pattern that God is establishing here. Now, you may or may not realize it because sometimes Monday morning seems to come really, really fast. Sometimes Monday morning, you're like, oh, man, 
I can't believe it's Monday morning already. So first of all, you just need a massive cup of coffee. And if you don't drink coffee, trust me, that is God's goodwill for you is to learn to drink coffee. It's a great way to start your day. So we, we were blessed to, to go down and spend a couple days uh, at Kentucky Lake uh, with some friends uh, on Thursday and Friday. And neither one of them drink coffee. And I'm like, man, you're not right with the Lord. I, I just don't understand how you can wake up and do your day without coffee. I mean, that is, that's refreshment. That's refreshing. So anyway, but Monday, Monday for most of us really demands large measures of coffee because it seems to come so fast. And we don't want to go to work a lot of times because work for a lot of us just feels like a bad word. You know, it's one of those four-letter words. Boy, it's a four-letter word. Well, actually, it is a four-letter word. <laughs> but work by itself is actually not one of those bad words. You know why it feels bad to us? Because we were actually made to work. Do you know that? We were made to work. Adam was made as a worker. The reason that work has become sort of a bad word and has bad connotation for so many of us is because of the curse of sin. In Genesis chapter three, after Adam and Eve sinned, God looked at Adam and he said, because of your sin, your increase will come by the sweat of your brow. Do you know that didn't exist before sin? That didn't happen before sin. Because of sin, work now feels like toil. It feels hard because sin entered the world and messed everything up, but work in and of itself is part of our DNA. It's how God made us. God, God's worker, he made us to work. It's part of our reflection of the character of God. But I think there's two kind of particular things about work, two distinctions about work that I, I wanna share with you. The first one is incredibly profound and deep. Work for the sake of providing is called work. Now I worked really long and hard on coming up with this, this phraseology. Um, some people call me Sherlock because I'm just, I'm a, I'm a wizard with these kind of words and under, understanding these clues. Work for the sake of providing is called work. We get that one. We get that one. But there's another kind of work that I'm not sure that we always fully understand. And that is this, that work for the sake of accomplishing God's purpose in the world is called serving. We work to provide for our families. We work to provide for ourselves. We work to maybe bless some others in the process. But when we roll up our sleeves and we work for the sake of accomplishing God's purpose in the world, that's not the same thing. That's called serving. Now, here's the truth. Both of them often feel just exactly like each other because they require effort. And you can get really tired just working to provide for your family. You can also get really tired serving. Both of them can wear you down. Working for your family can wear you down. Working to serve for the purpose of God can sometimes wear you down. That is why we need rest. We need rest so that we can be refreshed and to go back to doing what it is that we're supposed to be doing. This is also, by the way, this is also one of the reasons that you need margin in your life. That's another sermon for another day. 
but I can tell you that far too many Christ followers are trying to live like the world and we've got no margin in our life whatsoever. It is wall to wall, 24, six and a half, 24, six and three quarters, 24, seven sometimes even for Christ followers. And God says, no, 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 no. You need some margin in your life. You need some rest. Now, in regard to our work life, now I know not everybody has this schedule, but regard to our work life, most people work five days a week. The general normal work week is Monday through Friday. Again, I know that's not true for everybody, but that's sort of the normal work week and the work life in the American culture, Monday through Friday. So everybody's sort of working for the weekend, right? And so we might as well all sing that song together just so we get it out of our mind. Everybody is working for the weekend. Okay, so now we've already we've passed that hurdle and now we can, move, we can move forward. Everybody's working for the weekend, right? It's like you go in on Monday and why do, why do you call Wednesday hump day? It's because it's half over, right? I am halfway through my work week. Yay, I get to quit at the end of Friday. It's hum day. I'm almost there. I can see the end from here. Most of us are familiar with a camel that used to walk through people's workplace. Woo, you know what day it is? You know what day it is? It's Wednesday. It's hum day. And everybody gets excited because it's hum day. We're almost through with our week. And you're so glad because you're working for the weekend. You cannot wait to get to the weekend. And we get to the weekend and we're like, oh, oh man, I can unplug, I can relax, I can do what I want to do, and hopefully I get refreshed. Now, can we all just be admit that way too many times the weekend just doesn't seem nearly long enough? Right? It's like the weekend feels like it might be one half of a day, and what we really need is we need like a five-day weekend and a two-day work week. That would be great. Amen. See, now the preacher is preaching. Amen, brother. Come on. <laughs> See, sometimes the weekend just feels so, so incredibly short. But you know what we do? You know what we do even on those weeks where we're still exhausted after, after Saturday and Sunday? You know what we do on Monday morning? We get out of bed and we do what? We go back to work. Even when we don't want to. Why? Because we know we need to. Because your livelihood depends on it. So you may not feel refreshed. You may feel just as tired. You may feel more tired than before Friday hit. But you know, no matter how you feel, you got to get up, get yourself pulled together, drink that pot of coffee like the Lord intended, and go back to work. So you work, you get tired, you rest, you focus on God, and you go back to work. You work, you get tired, you rest, you focus on God, and you go back to work. We get that. We get that. But I think sometimes when it comes to this other side of the equation, when, when we're talking about work for God's purpose... The serving side of work, 
that I think sometimes we get this, this pattern that God has given us, we get it really, really out of whack. And in fact, I'd say we get it sometimes almost completely backwards. Because people will often get tired of serving. And then here's what happens. They say, I need rest which sort of morphs into something called retirement or another way to actually say it is quitting. See, none of us quit our job, our Monday through Friday job, just because, you know, we got tired and we we just didn't get enough rest on Saturday and Sunday. We get up and we do what we have to do to make it work, even when we don't feel like it. But when it comes to the, the side of the coin that work is about serving God's purpose in the world, we say we need rest, but what we're really saying is I quit. It should be this, you serve, you get tired, you rest, you focus on God, and you go back to serving. That's the pattern in the, in the scripture, right? You serve, you work, you get tired, you rest, you focus on God, and you go back to serving. But here's how it works for most of us. We serve, we get tired, you decide to rest, and then you quit. Pattern plays out in churches across America over and over and over again. Now, I'm just going to be really frank and honest with you this morning. It is really easy in the service of God to get to the point where you are so tired that you're just ready to quit. Some of you will will sometimes forget, and I try really hard not to let you forget because I don't ever want you to see me as somebody who's never done anything but this. For 20 years as an adult, Leslie and I were sitting in the seats just like you are right now. I know that it is really easy to get to the point in serving God where it just feels so tired and you are so done that you just want to quit. But I want to spend the rest of our time together this morning looking at a story that I know that many of you are familiar with. This will not be a story that that is unheard of for most of you. But I think it perfectly captures that moment in the life of a Christ follower when you are so done and you are ready to throw in the towel versus what God wants instead. So flip over now to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 19, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, 1 Samuel, 1 Kings. So get to 1 Kings chapter 19. Now, this is a story of Elijah. Now, before we read this in chapter 19, let me give you a little bit of background. So Elijah, most of you know the prophet Elijah, just an an amazing, incredible man of God. Incredible things happened in his life. And in chapter 18, this is the part where, where Elijah was challenging the prophets of Baal to a contest. Well, let's see who God really is. Let's see who's got the right God. And they, they bring all of these sacrifices up on Mount Carmel. And, and he says, you take all the time you want, you know, carve up all these animals, put the sacrifices on, surround this thing with water, and then let's see fire come down from the sky and let's see who God really is. And they 
pranced around, they danced around, they fell in their face. Oh God, oh God, oh God, come on, take our sacrifice. And it went on for hours and Elijah was having a great time. He was just, and if you don't think God has a sense of humor, you read that, that story in chapter 18. Hey, you know what? Maybe your God is really, he says, maybe he's away on vacation. Maybe he needed a rest. Maybe he's tired. Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he's just not, he needs hearing aids. He made fun of them all day long. And finally, they just got to a point where it's like, okay, guys, let's just cut this off. Let's move on to the real show. And so Elijah took his turn. He prayed a 64-word prayer after they had taken hours and hours and hours and hours. He prayed a 64-word prayer. And just like that, God answered, fire comes down out of heaven. It burns that whole thing up, uh, laps up all of the water that was in the trenches. It's all gone. And Elijah said, see, but he wasn't done because he chased them all down and he killed all the prophets of Baal. Like, well, that's not very Christian. Yes, it is. Because God said, do it. So they did it. So that makes it Christian. So he took them out. Man, what an awesome day. It doesn't get any better than that. We just wiped out all of the prophets of the opposing gods and God showed himself to be the real God. Whoa, what a day. And then, and then, then we get to chapter 19. So I'm just going to start reading in verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel, Ahab was the king, Ahab told Jezebel, his queen, all that Elijah had done. Also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I don't make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow at about this time. It was a straight up threat. Elijah, I'm going to kill you. So Elijah, when he saw that, he arose, ran for his life, went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and he came and sat down under a broom tree. Now, remember, this is the guy who just saw God send fire down from the sky and slaughtered all of the the false prophets, all of them, just, just the day before. So in verse four, he sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. And he said, it's enough. Now, Lord, take my life. I'm no better than my father's. And then as he lay And he slept under a broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And then he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. And so he ate and drank and lay down again. I'm telling you, this is like a dream come true for me right here. You go to bed, you wake up and there's bacon and eggs and cake and coffee by your, right by your head. Man, I think I've died and gone to heaven. I mean, this, this, is, this is the best that life could possibly be right here. And because this doesn't happen, I must be in heaven. Is that a hint? It could be. Uh, I like passive aggressive preaching. Uh, so <laughs> verse, verse seven. So, and the angel of the Lord came back and the second time and he touched him and said, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. And so he arose and ate and drank and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave. He spent the night in that place and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
And in verse 10, so he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel, they've forsaken your covenant. They've torn down your altars and they killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone have left and they seek to take my life. <laughs> You've done it. You know you have. And in verse 11, God says, well, go out and you stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains. It broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, man, this has got to be it. Man, God, he, he didn't show up in the wind. He didn't show up in the earthquake. But man, fire, this has got to be God, right? It's a fire, God, fire, God, God, fire. This is it. God has got to be there. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after that, after the fire, a still, small voice. And so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave and suddenly a voice came to him. And again, here's the question again. What are you doing here, Elijah? Now you'd think that maybe Elijah might have had a little bit of a change of heart here. But here's what Elijah says. I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They tore down your altar. They killed your prophets with a sword. And I alone am left. They seek to take my life. Ah! Like again? Really? Really? And then the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And the NIV reads, go back the way you came. Go back the way you came. So after complaining, God has got some lessons here for us. And I just kind of want to recap that story and go, well, okay, let's unwrap. What does the Lord have for us here? First thing I will tell you is that it is really easy to serve the Lord when things are going great. It's really easy to serve the Lord when things are going great. Man, when God is doing big things and it's just going great, man, everybody wants to, to, to jump on the God train, right? Oh, let's get on the God train because this is so good. We're having the time of our life. God is showing up in all of these cool ways and all doing all these big things. Let's get on, get on board. You don't want to be left behind for this. When things are going great, it is easy to serve God. But when it gets hard, when it's not as easy as it used to be, or when God is not showing up in big ways like he used to, it gets a little harder to serve God. And church, let me tell you something. This is true in, in, in story after story after story in the word of God. Somewhere along the line, no matter how big God showed up, no matter how good something is going in your life or whatever situation you find yourself in, sooner or later there's going to be a valley that you got to cross. 
I don't care how good it is on top of the mountain. You cannot stay there forever. God never intended you to stay there forever. And sooner or later, you're going to have to climb down that mountain and you're going to have to go through a low spot before you can get to another mountaintop. What then? What then? What do you do when it's not as big as it used to be? Well, Elijah, Elijah was ready to throw in the towel. Elijah's ready to quit. He said, I've had enough. In fact, he said that. It's enough, Lord. Go ahead and kill me now. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I can't take anymore. I'm done. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but some of you, you know exactly what Elijah was going through because you've been there. You might have even had the exact same conversation with God. And then God shows up. And you know what I find really interesting? Is that God does not uh, criticize Elijah. He doesn't chastise Elijah. He doesn't condemn Elijah. You know why? Because God made us. He knows we need rest. And he knew that Elijah was in a season where he needed rest. Now, how many of you recognize that when you get really tired, or let's just put it another way, when you have when you've disobeyed God's command for rest, when you get really tired, you get really unreasonable. Raise your hand if you know that. When you get really tired, you get really unreasonable. I'm not mentioning any names. I'm just gonna keep on preaching. <laughs> and Elijah, Elijah Right here in this moment, Elijah was being very unreasonable. But God didn't slap him upside the head like most of us would be tempted to do given the circumstances. God met him right where he was and he began to minister to his need for rest. God sort of treated him to the spiritual God bed and breakfast routine. I mean, it was really awesome. I mean, it really was. He gave him everything that he needed. And then after he knew that Elijah had had his rest need met, he said, okay, Elijah, follow me. I want us to get somewhere where you and me can have a little chat, where I can hear you and you can hear me and it's just us. So he went all the way across to a place called Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. Okay, Elijah, let's have a talk. Let's just, let's just settle this. Let's get this all out on the table. Let's have a little talk. And then God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Now, given the fact of all of the things that Elijah had experienced and given the fact that God had just met all of his needs and didn't give him a hard time about it, you'd think, You'd think that maybe just Elijah might have had a little bit of a change of heart and said, you know what, Lord, I was way out of line when I said I'm done. I, I can't take it anymore. Kill me now. I've had enough. I might have been a little bit out of line on that one, God. But no, no, that's not what he said. He started going to the wambalance, right? You've been there. You've ridden in the wambalance. Hadn't you? When you've had all that you can take and all you want to do is complain to God 
You jump in the back of the ambulance and you just start letting it fly. And that's what he did. And then God said, okay, I hear you. I hear you. Uh, Step outside. So they go outside and then God brings this massive wind by. Surely God's in the wind because Elijah is used to seeing God operate in big, big, big ways. God wasn't in the wind. And then he goes, let's get ready to rumble. There was an earthquake. God's got to be in that one. But God wasn't in the earthquake. And then fire, oh my goodness, fire, are you kidding me? God's got to be in the fire. Fire, it's God, it's God, it's fire, it's, it's, this is it. God wasn't in the fire. And after all three of those great big things that you would think God would be in the middle of, and he was in none of them, God speaks in a really still, small voice. God wasn't in any of the big things. See, and this is where a lot of us get tripped up in our serving. Because as long as God is showing up in big ways, as long as God is showing up in big things, man, we're all about it. Man, I want some of that. Let me get some of that. I want to be a part of that. But when it gets harder than it used to be, when it's not as big as it used to be, or or better yet, when it's not as fun as it used to be, is the promise of God's presence still enough for you to serve? When, when the big things that you love to see aren't happening anymore, is God himself enough? If the church isn't setting records wherever you are, is God's promise of salvation, is it still enough to serve even when you don't feel like it? When everything else is stripped away and you got nothing else, is God enough? Church, you have no idea how important the answer to this question is for you. Because God is a God of big things, but God is also a God of the ordinary. And if you will only serve God when it's a big thing, then you aren't really serving God. You're serving an opportunity and you're serving something that makes you feel good about you. The guy who wrote uh, the message, paraphrase, his name's Eugene Patterson, pastored for a long, long time. Many of you are familiar with that, that paraphrase. He also wrote a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And, and the title of the book really was based on 1 Samuel chapter 15, 22, when Samuel confronts King Saul after God had told Saul to go out and wipe out all the Amalekites, but he didn't really do it. And, and Samuel confronts him. And he goes, What's, why do I hear sheep? You were supposed to wipe them out. Oh, Saul, go, oh, we're going to do something big for God. We're really going to do something big for God because God likes big things. And you know what Samuel said? Does God prefer uh, sacrifice? 
more than obedience? Does he like the fat of rams more than obedience? The answer is no. God prefers obedience first. And that has inspired uh, Eugene Patterson to write this book, A Long Obedience, in the same direction. And here's a great quote. He said, there's a great market for religious experience in our world, right? Hey, man, if God's doing something big, if God's doing something awesome, I'm on the train. But there is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. We'll ask our worship team to come to the platform as we sort of bring this in for a landing. There is a great market for big stuff, isn't there? Elijah saw big stuff. Elijah was used to God showing up in big, big, big ways. But once it started to get hard, Elijah was ready to throw in the towel and quit. Just take me now, Lord, I've had enough. I don't want to do this anymore. Then God meets him right where he's at. He meets all of his needs. He gives him rest. And Elijah still wants to gripe and complain about it. And God said, I'm just going to speak to you in a still, small voice. No fanfare, no great experience, just you and me. What are you going to do, Elijah? And can you believe Elijah complained again? He's like a broken record. He goes back and he says the exact same thing again. It's like, come on, man. Get a clue. And I'm fascinated by what happened next. Is that God didn't even acknowledge Elijah's complaint. You know what God did? God affirmed, affirmed the pattern that he established from the beginning. Elijah, serve, rest, focus on me, be refreshed, but go back the way you came. Go back the way you came. Is God enough? If it's not big, is God enough? If it's not a, a, a fireball of something going on, is God enough? See, if God doesn't, he doesn't rebuke you for your need for rest because you need it. It's built into the rhythm of our life. But that rest focuses on God, receives from God. It becomes refreshed to do what? To go back and do the thing that you were doing to start with. Go back the way you came. Church, there is work to do in the vineyard. Amen? There is work in the vineyard to do. There is work in the fields of harvest. God's call on us this morning is to, even though we may be tired, to receive refreshment from God and go back the way we came. I'm gonna ask you to stand. Father, across this congregation this morning, 
Lord, I don't, I don't have to be, have any particular uh, word from you or insight to know that there are people here that are tired because that's just common. It's normal. So Lord, I pray for a refreshing this morning. I pray for a spirit of rest to come and inhabit this place to overwhelm your people. And Lord, help us to find that season of refreshing in you, not so that we can just be done and sit down and say, I've had it, but Lord, to say, thank you for filling me. Thank you for refreshing me. Lord, I am ready to go back the way that I came. Lord, help there to be no condemnation. Help there to be no fear. Lord, help there to be a spirit that says, Lord, come and meet me right where I am so that I can accomplish your work in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a moment, we're gonna open up these altars for you to respond however God led you to do. But here's something I want you to know. You know, Elijah could have quit right then. He could have continued to throw his tantrum and he could have stayed in that cave and been done. But do you know that Elisha, who followed Elijah, got a double portion of of God's blessing on Elijah. But do you know that Elisha's anointing came after Elijah went back from this very experience? If Elijah had sat down and been done, we may never have known the work of the prophet Elisha. So before you throw in the towel, before you quit, you need to know that maybe the biggest fruit of your ministry, the biggest fruit of your serving may still be ahead of you. So with that being said, let the Holy Spirit have his way. These altars are open. Come and do business with the Lord. Be refreshed. Come be refreshed. And let's serve the Lord together.